Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome to, hey, Corey, have you ever thought to do like something like Joe Rogan does where we just like lead the episode and we're like, what's up, motherfuckers, or anything like that? Or is that too much? Uh, probably a little too much. But It's brash, right? It's kind of brash. It's a little brash. We don't have the audience for that. What? Do we have don't the audience probably. for that? Maybe. Who cares? Do whatever you want. All right. Um, we're going to try it right now. What's up, motherfuckers? It's episode 270. <laughs> 274 of the Bitcoin podcast. <laughs> I'm the host that talks first, D. And I'm another host, Dr. Corey Petty. I am one of the hosts as well, Lucian. Yeah, That's I brought right. Lucian on just to talk shop because why not? It's part of the network. You can join us. That's yeah. Right. It's first it's time very- joining the flagship. It is? Wow, it is. Mm-hmm. How does it feel? You feel tingly? In your I, feel, I feel flagship worthy. <laughs> which one of the beer. which That's one nice. was the flagship between the nina the pinta and the santa maria was it the nina i would assume so because that's what they said first yeah that's what i that's what i would assume too well anyways how's how was your week core uh my week has been busy as always uh we're okay. leading up everything's getting ready to put the uh version one of status app into the mobile app stores. Um, so the audit starts at the end of this month, which means, and that's pretty much what I'm hired to do for the most part is negotiate and manage audits. And uh, yeah, man, it's, uh, it's quite a bit of work. Also, we, we shipped a bunch of like, basically like for the past, I don't know, couple months, we've been focusing on narrowing down all the things we want to put into the application and the process of that. Uh, We've gotten some really cool stuff just recently pushed in, into the application that's going to get that's going to get audited. So I'm excited about what actually gets right. shipped. This is we're not have paid you, to say uh, this stuff, at least not yet. So like I'm just excited have, about this, uh, and this is what my day to day consists of. <laughs> do you guys listen to uh, um, Miss New Bo- Newest New Booty by Bubba Sparks? Because of that one part where he says, "Get it right, get it right, get it tight." Because Bubba Spark after dark. Yeah. Is that a no? Uh, I haven't heard that song since what was that, high school. <laughs> I feel like that's high school. I don't know. Whoa, we twelve? No I'm kidding. Um, but I used to like that part. He's like, "Get it right, get it tight," and I always like, "Yeah, get it right, get it tight." All right, how about you, Lucian? What's what's up with your week? What's going on in the world of Lucian? I was not prepared for how many phone calls that I've been getting sucked into. It's kind of crazy. Like most of the time, I've 
spend like developing in a dark basement that you guys now get to see <laughs> and all of a sudden i'm becoming a booth babe and traveling all over and oh. presenting my wares so it's um yeah it's interesting basically going from extreme introvert to an extrovert but obviously i'm a people person so i think i'll be fine <laughs> I appreciate that you bend the rule, the gender rules, and you say you're a you're a booth babe. Yeah, and you're yeah, a man. That's... You're a man, and you could be a booth babe. That's true. And there's no... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. I well, guess it's my turn. Yeah. What was your week like? Uh, it's pretty dope. Uh, you know me. I do dope shit. No. Um. The highlight of my week was I ordered some pre-workout gummies because I'm doing some market research for my good pal, and they taste like ass. So this is a shout-out to Hilo pre-workout gummies. I know you're probably not listening to my show, but your pre-workout gummies taste like a donkey's dong, and uh, I won't be buying them again. Uh, they, other they work? Do you feel like you're jacked, like you're ready to go work out, though? Well, I took them about a half hour ago when I thought the show was going to be recorded an hour from now. So I was ready to go to the gym. Y'all are about to just witness like the amp- amplification of D during this episode. That's what's about to happen. I'm feeling, I'm feeling a good pump according to the marketing uh, on this fucking bottle. But anyways, yeah, it's, it's a good week, man. I got nothing to complain about. Kind of rainy up here in the north in the uh, Milwaukee area next to the lake. But uh, other than that, uh, pretty chill. So, uh-huh. so what do you want to talk about today? Oh, you know what you know what it's time for. Yeah, we're having a Dow debate. A Dow bait. A a Dow bait. Yes, the Dow bait. Yes, that's what we're gonna do. Um, it was an idea for somebody in the Slack. They said, "Hey, you guys should debate the Dow," and I said, "I don't know that much about it, so I guess I could <laughs> ask you guys <laughs> what's going on." What, so, how are you gonna I, debate? You can't you can't debate something you don't know anything about. Yes, you can, Corey. <laughs> Watch me work. Have you heard maximalists these days? <laughs> Watch me work. No, okay. So let's break it. Let's start with breaking it down, right? Distributed autonomous organization. One, I feel like that's it's not decentralized autonomous organization. I've already started with the strike against me. Decentralized <laughs> autonomous organization, and it's been a while since I even had to think about it because I invested in the very first DAO, the DAO, the DAO. We all did, everyone did, but yeah. Ether. Did you invest in the DAO? Oh yeah, I didn't have Ether back then. Mm. Man, you I was like, I was, I was broke, working nonprofits. So. Uh, I was deep <laughs> within like the aftermath of the analysis of what happened in the DAO and the triage of fixing things and finding out where the money went and how it happened. Yeah, you were on that list. I remember there was like a list of people who contributed to help and figure everything out. And you were on that list. I don't know. How do you get in these circles? Uh, uh, So that's because I was in the DAO group. Um, I was, I guess I could be considered a data scientist at that time but I worked for a security company. And so I was in the, um, I was in that channel that talked about um, analysis of what was happening with the DAO before the hack. And then that channel basically got turned into the white hack hacking group uh, Mm. where like all those people 
kind of form that initial group to figure out what like steal those funds back before the hacker could finish things, as well as um, do a lot of analysis on exactly what happened in terms of um, what vulnerability was taken advantage of to the, so that it could be fixed later on down the line, as well mm-hmm. as kind of watching the funds flow afterwards into multiple accounts so you could follow the money to figure out, uh, potentially figure out who it was. So isn't that a problem with it, though? Like, if it's supposed to be autonomous, what if there's a kink in that autonomy and then everybody's fucked? Well, I would say um, that was one of the major lessons learned. That was one of the major lessons learned in the DAO. Um, And it had this really, really strong um, branding at the time, which is uh, code is law, right? Um, There was no... And at that point, that that, that... implementation of a DAO was the first of its kind. And mind you, this was built um, when Slocket was raising money. Y'all remember Slocket? Mm-hmm. I remember Slocket. They I wanted to change the way that um, money was raised and also for the fir- so that the people who raised the money um, could vote on how the money was spent and then also continue funding other projects within the space. So it was like an, it was a, it was an attempt for um, people with funds to then allocate those funds onto projects that they would like to um, fund for that matter, right? They just like, they put all their money in a, in a, in a pool and then by doing so, they're, they're automatically granted voting rights on how that money is spent and the delegation of that money during the milestones of um, that project actually being done, which is cool. But the thing that they did in the process of making it was uh, they didn't allow any human interaction, no fail safes, no trap doors. And at that time at Ethereum, um, I'd call that a really dumb move. Every, there was a lot of hubris involved <laughs> with like creating things in Ethereum at that time where they, we didn't quite realize all of the, tra- all the pitfalls that could happen and the vulnerabilities associated with smart contracts at that time and the tooling and figuring out those vulnerabilities and like the best practices for building smart contracts so you could not have them when you deploy something. And uh, because there were no trap doors, you couldn't, no human could stop it. The code was law. Mm. And it was done, and the code was bad. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much yeah. the gist of it, right? So that, that's the, the whole shtick of my argument there is that, like, uh, who, who's to say the code's good? When do we know the code's good? And from what we've learned about coding, or at least what I know, is that there's lots of bugs all the time. That's definitely true. Um, how do you so, know it's good? Uh, I would say the number one metric for a, secu- for a secure smart contract is how much it's been used for how long it's been deployed and how much money it's, it's, been, it's been locked up. So like the amount of time it's been, it's been deployed, it's been live, multiplied by the amount of money that's inside of it. That's okay. a really good metric for how secure a smart contract is. Why? Because um, basically that tells you, that gives you the bounty um, associated with what it would, like what you would gain from hacking it. So that's your like, basically mm-hmm. like how, how big of a threshold is it worth for someone to put the effort in to try and steal that money? If they do a good job, they can potentially steal all of that money. And mm-hmm. the longer the time it's been alive means that that's how long that bounty has been alive. So if you think about it in terms of like a bug bounty program, that's a really good yeah. way of, of evaluating how, how good a smart contract is. And it, it, for the longest one, the largest one, 
is the Bitcoin blockchain. And that's what people most of the time say the Bitcoin blockchain is so secure because it's been alive for so long. It's been attacked for so long and it hasn't gone down and all the money is basically safe other than people losing their keys, which is a different story. Completely different mm -hmm. story. So it also no sounds it also Go sounds ahead. like one of those security models, you know, that joke like, I don't have to run faster than a bear. I just have to run faster than you if we're both being chased by a bear. Right. So the same kind of thing happens. And this happened after another security vulnerability um, to a multi-sig wallet. It basically like people deploy the same code, but if there's another um, account that's that has a much higher value attached to that same code base, you're going to keep an eye on it and say, okay, if the Nomis safe is good on like a huge multi-sig wallet, then my small implementation is going to be fine. You mean Gnosis. Right? Gnosis, yes. It's hmm. also... And yeah, go ahead. We've learned a lot of lessons in terms of like how to write better smart contracts. Also, how to build better systems that um, do the things we want them to. And that was just a naive implementation of trying to do something like that. But the thing about it was, which I think made it so grandiose, was that that was the first large projects on on Ethereum where people could do something with the ether that they had, and because of that, everybody did something with it. Okay. Basically, yeah, the vast majority of people who held Ether at that time, who had basically made a bunch of money, did the DAO because they didn't have anything else to do with their Ether. Yeah, that's, that's not that the almost, case anymore. That almost outlines exactly why I I wanted to do something with the DAO because I had all this Ether and I was like, well, I'm going to put it in the DAO and then I'm going to own a part of Skynet. And... <laughs> We, we all felt that way. Guy. We were all like, irrationally exuberant when this stuff was happening. Yeah. I, I, that's the tough thing about the super bearishness or bullishness is that I had like people reaching out to me that were like reading on Slocket's website what the DAO was. And they were like, I feel like I'm reading a foreign language. And I was like, mm, yeah. And that's pretty much where the conversation stopped, like right there. Like I couldn't, I couldn't help them after that. Yeah, I and mean, it wasn't uh, for it wasn't for the regular people in a lot of ways. It was people who understood what was going on and wanted to get kind of in on the first thing that happened, of like the first of its kind scenario. It sounds so beautiful, you know. It was a beautiful idea. It still is. That's what I mean. Like this idea of building organizations that have a set rule set built into them where like the way in which the organization operates, like the business logic of the organization is relatively set in stone. And you have some like administrative features that people can vote on to change or like, you know, fail safe hatches. I'd imagine those things exist now and DAOs that exist, but like it, it works automatically. You don't have to, like, it, it gives one massive transparency in how that organization works with the distribution of funds in and where voting power actually has a weight and it also gives you a lot of like guarantees on things operating the way you think they should operate based on when you joined that organization mm -hmm. and there's like it, it seems as though DAOs or whatever we end up calling them in the long run because there's a lot of different names for them these days is an inevitable consequence of smart contracts wherever smart contracts exist mm-hmm Okay, so 
Okay, so now, see, this is how you debate when you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. So I'm going to your <laughs> points, Corey, about when you used to do all these great um, uh, token issuance analysis, not not token initiatives, but when people were doing all the ICOs, you would go through and track what uh, what money went to what wallets. And I read every single one of those, and my conclusion was that like most value gets centralized in like less than one percent of the addresses right it's always just this it's always a small percentage that has all the value so if it's the same thing with the dow it's going to be it's not i'm not going to even i'm going to go out on a limb here and just say it's going to be the same damn thing with any dow that's released is that one percent ownership of that thing is going to have 99 percent of the wealth of the value so how they control the whole damn thing well, here's the fun part about that. It's one, you're able to see that. Um, and you can opt out if you want. Two, uh, what's being built mostly, I'd say right now, there's only a few implementations of people actually, a few organizations actually using DAOs every day in, in the, within the organization to make like, to make voting power, right? Mm-hmm. What's being built right now is all of the frameworks so that you can go in and make DAOs. So like DAO factories, if you will. Ooh. is so that you can build something that gives you the organization that you want with a distribution of whatever token, necessary token involved with that organization that you want. And then that just gets deployed. You've made a factory of this organization that you want that has all the rules that you want, and it's then separate from the factory itself. It's just this thing that exists. And then based on how well that works for you within your organization, you then grant it more rights and more power and people start to use it. Like right now, I think, who was it? There's a the first time ever someone has created a DAO and linked it with an LLC in, Ooh. where what, what state was that? I think I put it in Twitter. Sounds like a California kind of thing. The D-Org, <laughs> D-Org founders have created the first limited What's liability concept? DAO. I don't know, this is on the East Coast. It's Coindesk. I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you the, uh, the state passed a bunch of legislation that was very friendly to crypto. It's it like businesses starting with, like, starting with crypto. It sounds like Wyoming, but not quite yet. Um, it's like a game show. Maine, Vermont. is it Maine? Delaware? Vermont. Oh, Ver- Vermont? Vermont. Yeah. Really? What's going on in Vermont? LLC linking the DAO yeah. to this BB LLC. I don't know. Blockchain-based limited liability company is the name of the like traditional legal entity. Wow, that's interesting. Uh, so the, co- the company is a cooperative of blockchain devs that builds DAO-related software. They claim that with a new legal framework, users can create a legally registered DAO and easily as creating a social media account. That's mm-hmm. what I mean. Like you've you've made frameworks in which you can have legal entities and then leverage crypto for what it's good for, which is trading digital assets and keeping transparency on permissions of those trades. Can we have a DAO? I'm actually looking into it to see if the way we reorganize the legal framework of this network be something like this. At what point can we launch an ICO and be legit? I just need to know for future reference. (laughs) (laughs) All in branding and marketing, right? (laughs) Selling so the question is, is like, would we launch an ICO in order to do regulatory arbitrage and to avoid existing rules? Or would we do it to leverage the benefits of new technology to have 
um, participants in our network have a larger say. Well, the way right? I kind of see, if I were to like the way I imagine doing something like this, at least within the context of the Bitcoin podcast network is that we build an LLC and the LLC basically says the delegation of the ownership of this LLC or like the ownership of this LLC is delegated to what the DAO says. So the mm. DAO gives you ownership. And what that lets you do is then, as well as like voting power. So like all those powers that you would normally, I guess, specify in the contract of, a, of an LLC, it's delegated to the dynamic DAO. And the DAO can basically handle those things dynamically, right? Then you can leverage crypto for what it's good for, or at least like asymmetric cryptography and smart contracts for what it's good for and allow the trading of those things to be fluid and, and happen, you know, basically on like a, a tokenized asset way, which I think is really cool. And then you just do votes on whatever you want, all within the DAO, and that's all transparent and auditable and so on and so forth. And then whenever you want to figure out what, who, what things, you just take a snapshot and there you go. There's your there's your distribution. There's who owns equity. There's what the last vote was. Here's another thing about DAOs that may not be to the good is that like not not everybody has all the time in the world to vote. If there are like yeah, that's a big problem. Where... That's a big problem right now with any anything currently running on a DAO is that the voting that actually happens is a small percentage of the stakeholders involved. And yeah. the more. Um, and the larger these things go, the larger the distribution, so like the, the larger the number of people involved in voting, the uh, less like the, the less percentage there is of people actually participating in votes. And so, what do you do there? I mean, look at the fucking United States. Yeah, like that's not a norm, that's, not a, that's not unique to Dallas. That's 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 like ubiquitous among that's, humans that's, in voting. Yeah, that's a voting thing. But what you can do, I think, what's interesting there, is you can make the incentives, um, you can play with the mechanism involved with like how voting works and what happens if you don't vote or what the power does if you do vote. And you can change the incentives to try and get people to participate more or care more on various issues or like how the voting gets tallied up in the end based on the percentage of people who end up voting or maybe like what the power of voting is based on how people previously vote on similar issues. I think you can do these types of things Maybe not right now, but eventually, because smart contracts are arbitrary, you can make fun rules to keep people engaged in the issues that they're voting on or not voting on. It, it, it to me that just aligns like with the the idea of like common stock or preferred stock. I think I'm pretty sure common stock is the one you get to vote on, and preferred is the one that you don't. I don't know. I think it's like that. It's like opposite. But that's that reminds me of. And if people aren't going to vote, then that just means that again, uh, one, I think it contradicts is the it contradicts the word autonomous because that doesn't seem very autonomous to me. And then, at the same time, it also contradicts the word organization because that doesn't seem very organized to me. It's just like <laughs> organization, just a group of people trying to do a common good or a common task. Calm down, Webster. I'm just telling you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just telling you what I feel. Yeah, it's a name. But, okay. It's a fucking name. Who cares? Whatever. It's the idea. Across. Okay. Um, I like. I yeah, think this is inevitable. I think this is. It's, it's just. It's the same thing that we said when, like, when people always talk about, you know, crypto is going to revolution the financial industry because it's it's tokenized yeah. assets, right? Yep. It's here to fuck shit up. Well, if you believe that, then you have to believe this. It's the same damn thing. <gasps> Smart contracts yeah. are just. 
like business logic with permissions. What is that? You've got me into a corner. What is that? It's a fucking business. It's, a, it's, it's an organization. That's very true. The thing about the, the phrase business logic is that the more in business you get, you find out it's not very logical at all. So well, that's just people's <laughs> shitty implementations. I and mean, there's going to be a lot of DAOs that don't work very well because the people running them suck. That's very true. But like maybe you so can take a little bit of that away if you don't depend on humans as much. So, okay. So then, okay. So the DAO is kind of like evolving from this like mysterious uh, Skynet entity that's going to run itself and issue money on its own to like us or the individual being able to spark up a DAO that makes decisions on their behalf. Is that what we're, we're like evolving there's, to? There's kind of. Like I have to put this out there. I I've tried building some like experimental business models for most of my career. <clears throat> and I tried using like social media, I've tried using cooperatives, um, and now soon I'll be trying to use blockchain as well. So like a brief history of it, generally when people invest, they sign over their money and if they lose ownership over the company in which they invest into, they lose control. But smart contracts actually give a way to actually kind of have a different type of enforcement mechanism as if like active shareholders who also vote onto the boards of companies participate more and they're actually able to change the rules by which the company operates in, right? So I think the biggest innovation here is the fact that fundraising is no longer a one directional aspect because people on the internet have realized that the most valuable asset is a strong and active community, right? And if you can create incentives that are self-reinforcing, so you no longer have passive investors, right? You have active investors, people who are both invested in your company financially and in the community, right, by participating. And this combination and using technology to do it, there's been like a bunch of experimentation uh, historically in getting this right. But let me just like point out the most recent one because it was only like five, six, seven years ago and it was crowdfunding, right? So equity crowdfunding in the Jobs Act in the United States, that was very recent. And the whole idea was, okay, I wanna do a Kickstarter, but that's how I wanna do my business, right? Mm. And they passed legislation to permit it. And now the problem with that became that it was a one-way transaction in which once you pay into a Kickstarter, like I, I funded a Kickstarter that was supposed to like build a do-it-yourself mobile phone 4G kit, right? So that I could basically solder and build myself as like wow, a learning wow. exercise. Uh, that was three years ago. <laughs> They're still giving me updates. <clears throat> And they're still giving me updates, but at the same time, like they already have my money and like they're living large. Like <laughs> it's a one way transaction and it's really different when um, when you can actually control the management and the stake of the company. Right. It's potentially and, like the ICO boom 2.0 uh, and yeah. where it's just not as one sided. You had the ICO boom happen. Everyone invested a bunch of stuff into all these projects that thought were going to change the world. 
And then the companies were like, well, we're well funded with all of the money everyone gave us and no accountability to the people who gave it to us. Yeah, mm. it was in large part because DAOs weren't mature enough, but the ICO craze blew up anyways, right? So basically people uh, gravitated towards ICOs basically out of, I don't know what the motivation was. So but... like the idea behind, like I guess the next next version of that is you do a similar type of scenario, you get people who are interested in an idea and the people behind building that idea, they sell you on the fact that they can build that idea and you go, okay, I'll put some money to that. And you throw money in a pool, but you then vote on how that money gets distributed over a certain amount of, over, over time to the people who are building it based on them actually building it. That's mm -hmm. a DAO. That's a, that's a, that, that is a form of a DAO. So instead of just saying, all right, here's money, here's some tokens that I hope are worth something one day. It's, all right, it here's even... some money, here's the tokens, and then I'm going to systematically, with a group of people who are all interested in this, figure out how to distribute that money to you based on how I think this thing should be built. Is it possible, is it even possible to programmatically have the issuance be, like, automated yeah like this is the, the dicio is something that was like oh, yeah. popular for maybe three days and then everybody forgot about it but if you have a group if you have a company or a group of people who i want to build a thing and i know exactly how it should be built and they've mapped it out in the code and then they say okay at this point you get a new issuance of money hmm. all right That's, that, that was point. actually built into the dow that type of mechanism was already built we just didn't do the yeah. whole thing correctly, and it had a <laughs> severe se like security vulnerability. Why are you laughing, Lucian? Why are you because laughing? one of my friends joined a startup, and at the very peak of the ICO boom, people like wanted more control because it was getting out of hand. So the founders of this ICO put time locks that were linked with deliverables within their specific project. But the problem was that they held ETH and the oh. value fluctuated so much that they essentially abandoned the project because they weren't able to fund the development because of the massive price swing within like a six to nine month period. Well, that's a, that's a use case for DAI. That and the fact that some of the founders bought like luxury sports cars with the first installment and then all of their employees <laughs> left after they saw how irresponsible they were. So Ooh, that, that sounds, sounds a little cute. more reasonable. But yeah, yeah, the other part's cool too. Business <laughs> logic isn't logical. That's where, that's, that's where that falls in. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, but so these are. Have you, have you guys heard of um, like the old vision of the sharing economy? Like this was right when Uber and um, Airbnb were first starting to gain steam. There was this like environmentalist community that was basically saying that um, the internet could essentially facilitate trade to the point in which you no longer ha like are restricted in what you do by what you own. Well, that's and... something that um, me and Vinay recently talked about on Hashing It Out and Block Channel, and like mm -hmm. in quite in quite a bit of depth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's there's an entire movement behind it, and there's a really good blog called uh, Shareables that um, I'll link to as well. But the original philosophy of Airbnb and Uber was actually to empower people um, and 
look how that turned out. <laughs> so the idea is that before you have like this massive market effect and you start dominating an entire industry as the platform that everyone gravitates towards, what if you could build code that makes Uber actually owned by the drivers themselves, right? So you actually structure the business relationship um, between the software developers and the people actually providing the services in a cooperative fashion. So the more you drive for Uber, the more of Uber you technically own, right? And mm. that's kind of how unions should work, <laughs> you know? That's like how large uh, social organizations that are motivated by altruism generally try to be structured, but it's super hard when individuals are just fragmented into individual consumers and creating coordination of all of their interests. Either it requires a massive like VC funding to convince everyone in the world that Airbnb is the place where you put your rental apartments or you've developed a software in which you actually incentivize participants to collaboratively share in the resources and by agreeing on the standard right? You end up getting partial ownership for the work that you put in, the effort and the money that you put in as well, right? So it's the idea that these like massive internet platforms, which tend to go towards monopoly, could actually be cooperatively structured and owned. And it hasn't yet realized itself, mainly because they're in competition with incredibly well-funded venture capital companies and everyone with a pulse is instantly attracted by the allure of instant money. And hell yeah. 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 But <laughs> think, think about the data economy in Web3. Rather than trying to capture it, monopolize it, and then sell access to your little walled garden, the only way you'll be able to compete against blockchain companies is by building something that's actually in the best interest of your consumers and then having like a crazy fanatical following that is willing to sidestep a free product by Google or Facebook in order to use your platform instead, right? And in like, I'm strongly betting that in the long term, people's self-interest, if the services are usable, will push them towards like something in which they get to participate in the ownership, in the governance, in the management, right? And man. Like, what worries me about all this? Like, I love all of that and what you just said. I hope that that future exists. But what worries me in terms of like a realistic problem people are probably going to have in such a in such a future is personal asset management. Like, people don't even know how to file their own damn taxes. They can't do a budget. Like, like, it's, like people don't know how to handle money because we don't have much of an education system for teaching them how to do it. Um, I'd say. What I liked most about the ICO boom was it at least gave a lot of young people the concept of how to make your money work for you. They learned a lot of lessons in investing and making money work and moving it around in such a way that it's the most valuable to them over time. Um, instead of just saying, I work, I get, I get paid, I spend that money, I work, I get paid, I spend that money. Um, but like in this future where everything that I participate in, I have some type of um, equity in and some digital asset associated with it, management of all of these things is going to be tremendously difficult. Yeah. yeah, it will be. 
and that's where we come in as the middlemen. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's, there's going to be that's on the other side, on the flip side of that, or the positive side of that. That is a tremendous pool of potential products you can build to help people do that. Man, I'm just satisfied now. I think I read a blog. I wrote a blog post like that's something funny. That's something somebody my age would say. I wrote a blog post <laughs> on my podcast. Uh, uh, yeah, that is we are we are that that generation. I did a vlog <laughs> about my blog on my podcast. No, um, about how like you always need plumbers, right? Like I think that the the most beneficial thing that's going to come from all this passion that we've had in in crypto and blockchain and this technology is that we're going to be the new plumbers twenty years from now. Because yeah, it's cool, but there people just don't want to give a damn. Like we're talking about all these things like DAO and what it can uh, contribute to society and how yeah, I, I really see that they could help. Um, but nobody's going to give a damn. Like they're so not. Here's, so, yeah, I'd say that. Um, you're right. But what's going to happen? At least what I think, like my like prognostication of what's going to happen is that we're going to have a similar socioeconomic structure. But it's going to be a little more skewed towards the every like the average man, the GPPs, because we we've we've um, lowered the barrier of entry into getting into that world. If you're interested, ICOs opened up crowdfunding into projects or investments into projects to anyone who wanted to do it, and regulation stepped in, and it became a little more difficult for them to do so. Um, but it's still, at the end of the day, people can can put money into a project and potentially gain from it much easier than they could in the past. Now we're doing similar things with how businesses are run and taking equity into a business and then voting on how that business is run. Like it's no longer relegated to ivory tower rich people or people who have the know-how to handle these types of things. We're making tools and infrastructure and platform to then make it more inclusive to people who want to participate. Yeah, it's probably gonna look the same, it's, it's gonna be skewed towards a small group of people doing this stuff, but that's but that pool of people is going to be um, easier to get into, if you will, I think. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's powerful. Like you have the option, um, whereas before you didn't. And I think that's probably my main goal in life is just to make options for people who want to do stuff who previously couldn't do them. Yeah. I mean, but think about how awesome it could be, but it always is going to boil up to that. There's, I I've, I see it loud and clear at this point. Like, and I always come back to this argument. It seems like on a, a biweekly basis now is that like, even if we had an ICO, say we grow this community as big as we want, like 2000 people in the Slack talking all day, every day without Will. And then, <laughs> sorry, Will, you hear this? Not really. <laughs> but you fucked up, man. <laughs> Hit us up in like six months. Got I don't know. Shot. But it's like 2000 people in there. And they're going to town. And we do an ICO and they're like, yeah, I feel like I'm a part of this. I, I, I'm contributing. I, I want equity in it. And the more I contribute, the more I get. Uh, let me go. So I wonder what I should do next. Let me go talk to Corey and D. Well, let me go talk to Corey, D and Lucian and everyone and see what I should do next. Like they're always, there's always a centralization of thought, of power, of something that's going to force it up to a small group of people who determine the direction of the boat. Yeah. But with these tools, go ahead, Lucian, you, you, you have something. Yeah. To say. Economically, not necessarily. Cause think about it this way. 
how many people do you know are becoming independent contractors or I mean, like, I hardly know anyone that's reliant on like a big company or is going to be a quote company man for the rest of their life. Like people no longer have long term loyalties to um, to businesses. Yeah, I just said that now they that. have. Yeah, they basically have loyalties to communities. Um, and those communities can be organized in multiple ways. And this might be like a new way for people who independent contractors don't have it very good right now. There's no lobbyist being like, let's help out Uber drivers, you know, <laughs> unless there's a union that's directly impacted, like in California, and they really just like all the taxis just want to screw over Uber, for example, right? But like, it's tough but digital nomads there it's rising and it's empowering and once you like give someone that kind of taste of freedom they become unemployable right but at the same time they still hunger for that kind of community uh, connection community and like one of the first things people say when they when i quit my job and like started working for myself as an independent contractor was basically like damn, I miss having the social interactions that I was forced to have at work. <laughs> yeah. right? So eventually people are going to start self-selecting. And that's really how I got into this podcast. And I'm certain that's how a lot of our listeners have gotten into this. It's a self-selection into communities and the participation and how engaged they are. Yeah, it might be like on a logarithmic scale, right? Like, we dedicate a lot of time to producing content and knowing as much as we can so that we could help our community grow and with knowledge. But at the same time, someone just wants to know what's going on in crypto. So they tune in. So and both of those are cool. I have to gotta break down logarithmic, though, for, for those listening. That means slow and fast at the same time. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it means. Good job. Right, Good go job, Matthew. Sure. <laughs> hey, just got to break it down for people. Man. You can't just throw out syllables like that. Um, <laughs> all right. So I, I hate to, to, to shill this again, but, um, so, uh, part of like what status has been doing for a long time is trying to change the way like organizations work. So like, we're trying to like hold the ethos of decentralization alongside how we run an organization itself. Mm -hmm. And in that, in that light, like we're really interested in DAOs and, um, incentivizing the community to build projects that they think we should be building and then provide funding so they can go do that themselves. And like one of the frameworks that we came up with that is close to being um, released and it's like, and it's, you know, first form is this thing called liquid funding. And it's, it's a DAO like structure in that anyone can submit a project say like, because, because, because status is a network and anyone can build on top of it. Um, and this is how most crypto communities work. You build a community in a way in which people can, it, it's permissionless to build on top of. But like you said, there's always a centralization of power in terms of where the, how the money flows within that community, right? If there's only three people that can, that can fund things, then they're the ones that basically figure out what gets funded. But when you have like, at least within tokenized projects, you have a distribution of tokens and everyone has an opinion on how they think that network should be run or what should be built to help the network. Um, and there's a, you know, distribution of skills within that people, uh, within that network on who can, who has the capability of doing something. So we built a framework that basically said, allows people to submit projects that says, 
this thing needs to be built. This is how it's going to be built. These are the milestones that do it. Um, this is how, money, how much money it's going to take, et cetera, et cetera. And then anyone can fund these things. So it's like mm. a, it's like a, it's basically a decentralized Kickstarter, but with the, with the, well, the first iteration doesn't have it because we, we, we abstracted some of this functionality away, but you can then, I can, as a funder, I can say, I have money. I think this needs to be done. And I'd like the way he presented, he's going to do it. I'm going to fund it partially, whatever, just like a Kickstarter. And then I'm going to set the, these people to delegate how that money actually gets spent in the process of building it. And anyone yeah. can do this, right? This sounds really similar to um, the social project that one of the people who used to work for um, Socket does. Um, the name's slipping. Ah, uh, I forgot. Uh, Giveth? Giveth. Oh, 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 Griff? Griff, yeah. yeah so actually, um, liquid funding is um, built from liquid pledging, which is what Giveth originally, uh, Giveth originally wrote. We've worked nice. with them for a long time to build this, but we did it in such a way that it's um, how we plan to break apart the status organization so that um, we don't we don't have core contributors, or maybe I don't know exactly how it's going to work and how and how we get there. But the goal is to minimize the necessity of the status organization and maximize the amount of like that. Just people who are within the network can build whatever they want or fund whatever they want to get built. Hmm. So, and that's nice. the whole thing you're doing with DAOs, in my opinion. The whole purpose of a DAO is to connect the people who are funding things to the people who are building things. And then allow them to communicate in a way in which, like, the funds flow um, the way they should. But, it's like, like a representative is... democracy. Sorry, yeah. it's like a representative democracy, but it's direct democracy, right? So it's like electing the board of a foundation to manage the uh, donations that uh, you've given to an organization, but it's project based, right? Like, you fund people to do a very specific task. And then you also like allocate your votes towards someone who has the time and interest, right? And think about that in context of our show. Like we communicate daily with uh, different members of our uh, community and some of them have uh, more free time. Some of them have a much less, but each one of them would definitely like know someone within our community to allocate their quote representation to, to act or vote on their best interest and they could even signal what their vote is going to be to their users so that like hey this is what i think like tell me if i'm wrong and yeah it's mm -hmm. we're basically just allowing users to provide feedback but with their money right mm. people vote with their money i wish you could <laughs> right because yeah. now they do <laughs> And it's called it's it's called companies or people. <laughs> and now corporations are voting directly in elections, <laughs> and it's incredibly profitable. Um, yeah, I guess that's that's kind of like broken down into the rest of the system. We we've culturally accepted that money talks, right? So now we use it as a way to represent everything. If we disagree with a stance that a shoe company has. People start burning their shoes. Technically, that doesn't take away the from money the company's profit, but <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna need new shoes, son. <laughs> yeah. 
I guess it wasn't much of a as much of a debate as it was a discussion about DAOs and and their reemergence ever since the big one kind of collapsed, which ended up being a net positive for me because I got a bunch of Ethereum Classic that I didn't see coming, so that was fun or Ether Classic. Um, but um, another topic that came up in the Slack uh, that you should, if you're listening to this and you haven't joined the Slack, you're in the wrong. You should join the Slack. Yeah, if you like the show, then you'll like the Slack. Yeah, you should you should join the Slack. But um, was this idea of money and how most of the people in the Slack now don't give a damn about it. It's mostly about the tech. And that's cool because that kind of sustains the community as a whole. But um, uh, I wouldn't go with most. I, I think <laughs> you don't think so. No, I, I know like, a lot of people that only care about money. They just don't. They're not nearly as vocal because. There might be a stigma associated with it. Oh, okay. Well, a lot of the discussion is in around things that aren't financial, but then it always gets brushed to the shot, brushed to the side, like how useless Bitcoin is because it's so slow. But then what people fail to understand is like money doesn't need to be fast; it just needs to be hard. And then like when I said that, there was like crickets, and I want to examine that and like like see you guys' opinion on that because. Um, there's no reason money has to be like the speed of light. Why? It just needs to be good money. Why? 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 Um, a lot of reasons. Like for one, Corey, if you had a bag of like Cheetos and I gave you some money for it, nobody else needs to give a damn how fast that transaction took place. Neither do we. Like we just need to know that we, we believe in the money. The well, that what, if that bag of Cheetos, what if that bag of Cheetos was a lot more valuable and you both had guns and you weren't leaving that store until that transaction cleared? Because you're not getting away with them Cheetos unless you pay me. Yes. Confirmation time still matters. And the I understand what you mean by like the hardness of money or the soundness of money. But yeah. the flip side of it is is it better or more useful than the current state of the art? And do you care about the use cases in which that is the case? If you believe Bitcoin is um, going to replace central bank money, then yeah, the processing fees for large transactions is, going, is probably better than the Federal Reserve moving trolleys full of gold from one cage to another, right? Like mm -hmm. as many countries have found out when they tried pulling out their gold from Fort Knox or New York City, they're not getting it back. <laughs> yeah, right. It's not leaving. Yeah. So um, in that case, it's useful. That's just not my use case. My use case is like buying digital cats online, you know? <laughs> yeah. But going back to like the Cheetos argument, like one, uh, it's basically end of days if we've got guns over a bag of Cheetos. Like, let's just be honest. <laughs> like, it's it's the end of days. It's Book of Eli mode. If he's like, look, you're not leaving until this transaction clears with this bag of Cheetos. It's end of days, right? Like that's that's the end of time. So that's like I get that, but the longer the transaction the more time it takes for everybody to be comfortable with it. Like we've already built these systems and they work just fine. When you go buy a house, it's not you don't get a fucking house vending machine. 
you sign giant stacks of paper and you wait, and then you sign more stacks of paper and you yeah, wait longer. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that's it's the right way to do it. We do, that's that, that's the way it has to be done. But I don't, I don't, I'm not going to make this let's say like, yeah, it's okay because those transactions don't happen that often. They're high value, etc. But the fact that it's slow isn't isn't like doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be that way. It can be both. Like if we can build a technology that is hard, sound money and fast and cheap, why would we stick with something that isn't? Because nobody's ever going to like that. That what you just mentioned ain't something that's going to happen, my man. Uh, I think it will. It's, it's not because nobody does business like that. No, I'm saying like it can be both. You can do incredibly big transactions but just the fact that it's slow doesn't make it better it's just a, it's just a matter of like it's, it it's okay because we don't do these transactions that often i didn't say it made it better i just said that like i don't know if humanity can accept both i don't know if humanity can accept fast well, and cheap and extremely valuable like they can't well it's going if it happens it's going to be a competitive advantage so whoever does it correctly might just start having the network effect of money Right, nice which about... is why countries freak out about Libra. You heard about the French central bank starting yeah. to ask yeah. around, like, it, if Libra starts taking off, like, we better have our own response, right? Because and we don't China. want to, yeah. China and India, like, these other countries are freaking out. And it's and interesting like... that the United States isn't really. Is it really um, that? I mean, the U.S. is everywhere. Like, I mean, just... there. It's. I think they're comfortable on top but i i still find it very surprising that they That's don't the the find US it a threat us is on the bottom the foundation all this crazy shit like always there i don't know like, the, so like, the thing two that, billion in usdc man i think two the, billion the thing that takes that, over maybe maybe there's okay. maybe there's truth to this right so like um any innovative technology that that's that like consumes um another technology does it start out by being a direct competitor? Ever. It, it fulfills a niche market that its yeah, eventual it's competitor doesn't even realize exists or doesn't care about. And then it grows <laughs> to a point of consuming yeah. the entire thing. Um, and so, like, that may be what happens. And what we're, what we're doing now is we're trying to view things as competitors from a traditional money standpoint. And that may not be right. Yeah, that's very true. That's a, yeah. that's a very good point. I always like, find myself relying on analogies when talking about technology, and they always fall short. Because if there was a good analogy, it would have been built already. <laughs> but yeah. that's kind of that's kind of the beauty of it. When you have something that can do something that's radically like new and better, there was um, I think it was like. Uh, a Peter Thiel book, or I forgot who it was specifically, that proposed the idea that um, a 10x improvement is what's required to radically disrupt a uh, any business and to completely dominate, mm -hmm. right? And uh, it was actually Peter Diamantis. Um, and the idea being that if something is radically advanced enough, it doesn't even matter how entrenched previous interests are because 
it will essentially be so heavily disrupted that no previous market advantage can survive the competitive disadvantages into the future. And all of his examples were basically like, okay, computer processing power is growing so fast um, that what industry hasn't been completely demolished by it, right? And finance happens to be one of them. Medicine happens to be one of them, right? However, the trucking and the driving industry, it's like right there. We're watching it completely disappear because you don't have human costs. You only have capital costs all of a sudden, right? Mm -hmm. And it's already happened to so many industries now that we're assuming it's going to happen to all of the industries, but we just don't know which technology is finally going to push it over the edge in which it's just complete market dominance. And it falls to another like, unitary platform the way of Google or Amazon, right? Mm. Well, yeah. that's a good way to I mean, wrap this up. I We're mean, all going to be taken over by computers. Uh, just go ahead and start saving your cash now and, and building a bunch of bunkers and water and uh, hope for the best. And buy the tokens that those computers run on. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, Haven't you guys heard of those IoT plays in which they're basically oh, yeah. like... Oh, so this is, you got to use IOTA to pay for your gas station Ain't nobody while you IOTA. drive your autonomous car. It was, this was one of the pitches I've heard, but there's a lot of IOT plays that basically speculate the combination of blockchain plus artificial intelligence will have artificially intelligent, self-functioning businesses right that was so something like, what that, if... that uh, andreas talked about a long time ago and the, and the fact of like a car can be self-owned and self-maintained oh, yeah. um by by digital currency and it was just like this like yeah. crazy talk we we're like holy shit that's a future that can exist that's enabled by cryptocurrencies yeah yeah that's what i want in my life i want my car to do all my fucking errands it's for not me your car it's its own car <laughs> <laughs> yeah right <laughs> when my car turns 18 it better be providing for itself <laughs> <laughs> um you need to go out and get a job car <laughs> I, I will say like the you said 10x better and that just got me thinking about last week there was this big hoopla about the billion dollar bitcoin transaction that somebody paid what 400 dollars for or 700 dollars for 700 i think 700 paid way too much nevertheless Try transferring a billion dollars overseas in the traditional finance market. You're going to pay a lot more. Yeah, moving a billion dollars. And, and like, I'd say it was uh, the transaction had a tremendous amount of UTXOs, which means it was moving a bunch of Bitcoin from a bunch of different accounts, yeah. uh, previous transactions into a single account. So it was like a unification of a, of a or like an amalgamation, aggregation, whatever you call it, of a bunch of like, small pieces of Bitcoin into, into a, one. one account. Right. That's why it costs. That's why they spent so much money, but they're probably still overpaid. Either way, um, try doing that. Try doing that in traditional yeah. finance. Good luck. Try sending a billion dollars <laughs> from Bank of America to Bank of Germany. They're going to say no. No, try sending, try sending like, <laughs> like a thousand dollars from, you know, a billion divided by a thousand number of accounts across multiple different banks into one uh in, in the overseas bank it's not gonna happen <laughs> nah. in 10 and minutes so for 700 dollars. see that that's what always gives me solace about investing so much of my life in this point into cryptocurrency and blockchain because it's like oh yeah the writing's on the wall there banks can't compete with that they know they can't so the only thing staving this off is the propagandist behavior 
the all the other things we can't control about humanity. But when it comes to the tech, it's 10x better. That's the thing. It's like it's humans are going to be humans, right? Humans are going to yeah. be humans. They're going to suck in a lot of ways, yeah. uh, especially when money's involved. Uh, but what we're trying to do is take some of the trust in the process of the communication between humans away so that when two humans agree on something, the technology takes care of actually getting the thing done. And you don't go, all right, uh, me and you, D, we agree that we want to do this thing. Hey, Lucian, we're going to trust you to go do it. And then Lucian says, fuck y'all, I'm taking that money, basically, right? <laughs> or screws it up or he's incompetent or whatever have you with the intermediary. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Lucian, you suck. Uh, <laughs> I'm grossly incompetent. <laughs> grossly. I mean, that's, that's like basically what, what the whole blockchain movement is in a, like, in a gist, is allowing me and like, allowing two people to communicate or two entities, organizations to communicate, and then having a machine take care of it for them. They don't have to trust that it's done correctly. Yeah. I think that's great. That's why I'm here. Yep. It's a good place to be. Well, we're going to wrap it up now. So if you enjoy this show, you'll enjoy all the shows on the network. Lucian, you got a show. Talk about it. Yeah. I've got a show called Dose of Ether in which I talk about Ethereum. <laughs> yeah, I, haven't, I keep changing the format of the show, so I wish I had a better pitch for it, but... It's uh, it's a gradual process. It started as a news show, but then I realized that there's simply too much research being output by the Ethereum community. So it became a summary show to keep up with the tech advances. And then it became a commentary show because people need to know why they care about a project that has hundreds of thousands of global developers building on it rather than just hearing updates regarding like the new flashy buzzword. Nice. And it's well, the I think it's a um, a product of the content that you're covering because Ethereum is this like fucking hydra of a tech that just like every time I blink my eyes, there's some new shit coming out with Ethereum. And I'm just like, yeah, I can't. Good luck. <laughs> that's I rough. can't keep up. I can't keep up anymore. And so I think that's kind of like what's going on with your show a dose of ether involves you got to be adaptable because ether changes on like a monthly basis sometimes yeah so speaking uh, of changes there's already a functioning dao it's called mulok it's got over uh, 1.2 million dollars of value um it's already funding projects you could submit proposals of um how to if, if you want a project to be funded by the community um so yeah, they've they've already right. re-implemented a DAO and they built it as a framework and people can build off of it and start mm-hmm. your own organizations using their base code. But yeah, it's it's intense because everyone looks at Ethereum and you're like, oh, that's what it is. And then they go build that. But it's like no one thought it was that at the first. Like it's just their own perspective. <laughs> so then they created their own reality and their own micro community. And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, you're in Ethereum, too. I'm in Ethereum, too. And they're doing completely different things with a completely different vision. And it's part of the part of the attraction. Yeah, it's like the magic eye painting. Ethereum <laughs> does have it going on Bossa Nova when it comes to, like, innovation. I do I do give it that. Uh, Corey, you got a show. Yeah, I. Uh, so all of this stuff, whether it be Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, 
Avalabs, Avalanche, Stellar, what have you. All of these things are basically built on uh, very similar primitives, uh, like the base level stuff. And what we try and do is take um, complicated subjects and then dive into them to try and figure out how they work and why people use them and how these, these, all of these, all this innovation works and why it's useful and what the problems they're solving are. So hashing it out dives deep into technical issues around all of this technology. And it's not, we spend most of our time on Ethereum projects because like you said, there's a lot of innovation just inside Ethereum itself, but we don't constrain ourselves to that. We've, we've talked with a lot of different projects um, just to see like what their, what their unique perspective is and why they think it's going to work so that uh, like it helps me, helps me get like, get a sense of like where things are going in terms of like the, the differentiators. Right. Yep. And I think that's a, that's an important thing to understand. So go listen to that. Uh, if you don't understand the words, I will not apologize. Go look them up or ask questions. There you go. Hashing it out was recently nominated for a podcast award too. Uh, Podcasties. I don't know. I, the up and coming podcast. <laughs> it's got, it's, it's, it's podcast getting on some lists. And I'm really happy about that. It's good. I mean, you guys are unapologetically, uh, I don't know, I guess exploratory. Yeah, it's for developers. That's kind of one. Unapologetically expeditionary. Put it on a shirt. Fuck it. We got another shirt. Uh, I'll be, we got, me and Jesse have a show called Just the Headers. Um, It's a shit show. And I'll say that. (laughs) It is. It is awesome. Very proudly. We have, we started covering the crypto headlines when it was relevant to now the crypto headlines are full of shit so we just have fun with it and we make fun of all of it and if you actually want to come on that show and help us make fun of the news we would love that because it's basically at this point like audible onion and um very little information uh heavy on not giving a damn about crypto headlines because they're they're full of shit um we also have um what else do we have block by design yeah Eventually. All about design, UX frameworks, how you build stuff, why it works, so on and so forth. Yeah. They're, they're, I'm excited for their episodes to come out. I like I like I that concept. From her first show, I didn't know that like designers have names for all this stuff. Oh, like dude. hamburger, the design space, like the, the the things that designers go through to try and build mm-hmm. interfaces uh, and and systems that are intuitive and that work is tremendous. It's it's crazy, it's huge, and that's why like. That's why, in my opinion, that's why businesses succeed, is that when you go to a place, you understand how it works without having to be told how it works. Yeah. That's because of designers. Yeah. Well, they're they're giving out cookies, and uh, you can expect that as well. Um, do we talk about syndication, or do we leave that for when? Like, yeah, we'll, we'll leave it when it comes. Yeah, we'll leave that off the, the new shows. New show is potentially coming to the network. If, if this is your first network. introduction, if you if you heard about Bitcoin and you're into it, and this is your first introduction to Bitcoin podcasts, and then uh, you got a lot of questions about Bitcoin, um, a little bit about Ethereum, you can come on on ramping with D. Just go into the on ramping channel on the Slack. Say, hey D, what's up? And I'll say like, hey, what's up? And then we're going to set up an interview, and then you can ask all your questions about Bitcoin. Uh, it, they can be asinine. Or they could be in depth. I think I know Bitcoin pretty well by now, and I'll I'll talk to you about Bitcoin. And, and last be on- but last not least, 
buy our shit. Uh, oh yeah, we gotta pimp ourselves out more. Yeah, we got a store. Right. We actually have a store. Go yep. to it. It's got swag in it. Yep. It's got hats, shirts, boxers, Shorts. bean bags. I'm gonna add some more bean stuff bags. to it. Beanbag covers. Store.thebitcoinpodcast.com. Also, there's a link in the nav bar of thebitcoinpodcast.com. Go to it. Look around. Click the buttons. There's a Slack button. That's how you get there. It's really easy. I made a throw pillow. Live, laugh, be a GPP. I really like that. I'm proud of that one. Yeah, we're going to throw it. We can basically make whatever we want. So if you were like tweet what you wanted in the store, we'll probably make it and you can go buy it. This my my dream is that like we have like a weekly shirt making competition and you members in the Slack make shirts and then and then we sell them and then so find like a way to get you who made the shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what we could set up in a DAO. Like they make shirts, we sell them, we give them their cut. For it's called the- Threadless. What? Yeah, unfortunately, D, D actually paused. Like he's like, I love that. I want to use it. <laughs> yeah, the margins on the on the systems that we use for making these things is quite small, so you're not going to make a lot of profits on that. You aren't. You'll make like a buck, but <laughs> you got to feel it. It's about the feeling of contributing. Uh, anyways, um, let's wrap that's it up. It, We're going. Don't don't buy Hilo pre workout gummies. They taste like ass. Uh, but I am pumped, so I'm about to go use some of that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, let's. Uh, Shout out to uh, Zoe Saldana, uh, Zazi Beats, uh, Play, and Alexandra Ship. I was just watching this movie. It's a very attractive woman. Alexandra Ship, Play, The Outro. Mm-hmm.